Hey you, yes you, thanks for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild and Free podcast. My name is David Benjamin, I'm your host and the founder of HealthyWildAndFree.com. If you're like me, you understand that health, the mind, body, spirit, heart connection, and living a green, eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle are some of the most valuable and life-enhancing lessons that we can learn and pass on to our children to live happy and abundant lives. That's why this podcast was created, to help you grow in these areas. If you aren't already subscribed to the newsletter, go to HealthyWildAndFree.com, click the box at the top right-hand corner to get a free copy of our latest ebook, and you will be subscribed to be notified about future podcasts. Thanks for subscribing and tuning in. Enjoy. Hello, podcast listeners. This is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Today, we're going to be speaking with a doctor named Dr. Masley. He's an MD, and he's a certified physician and nutritionist, author, speaker, and award-winning patient educator. His research focuses on the impact of lifestyle choices on aging, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cognitive function, and weight control. His passion is empowering people to achieve optimal health through comprehensive medical assessments and lifestyle changes. Dr. Masley is a clinical assistant professor at the University of South Florida, and he teaches programs at Eckerd College and the University of Tampa. And let's see, whoops, one sec, give me one second. (laughs) Bad time for the computer freeze. Uh, He's a physician healthcare hero award Awarded by the Tampa Business Journal, Dr. Masley sees patients from across North America at the Masley Optimal Health Center in St. Petersburg, Florida. And he has published several books, health books, including 10 Years Younger, which we're going to be talking about, uh, the, the the health principles behind that today. And his work has been featured on the Discovery Channel, the Today Show, plus over 250 um, media interviews. So um, we're going to bring him on in a minute here. Um, let's see, and if you'll bear with me, I'm having a little bit of a technical difficulty, and once I fix this, <laughs> we'll get him on the show. In the meantime, uh, while I'm kind of working, uh, if you aren't already subscribed to the Healthy, Wild, and Free uh, newsletter, uh, basically the newsletter is an uh, email newsletter to update you with new podcast interviews, as well as uh, all sorts of uh, information on health and wellness, and just to kind of update you with the interviews and those types of things. All right, I have the I have the technical difficulty fixed, and uh, we're going to bring Dr. Masley on the show now. Dr. Masley, are you there? I'm here. Hey, how you doing today? Here, let me switch to handhelds. There we go. Awesome. Doing well today? I'm doing great. Glad to hear. Thanks, thanks a lot for uh, for being on the show with us. We really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to start the interview off with asking you uh, what initially kind of sparked your interest in uh, into health and wellness. I worked in regular primary care for ten years as a family physician, and you know it seemed like all we did was treat people's aches and pains put them on meds, and make them feel worse. I just found it frustrating. 
and that I've you know I've always been interested in food. Food and nutrition has been kind of my background interest that got me motivated towards medicine in the first place, thinking we could prevent some of this. So um, yeah, that was really my goal was to make a transform healthcare today. Really, to get back to health and wellness so people felt great all the time and they didn't need to go to the doctor to be put on meds and for all their aches and pains. Right. So you're basically, we're, we're trying to put yourself out of a job, is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's not likely. I mean, right. I, a, a little more detail. I grew up as a kid and my dad was a vascular surgeon. To see him, I rode my bike to the hospital I had to go into surgery and see where he was, talk to the head nurse, scrub up, and go into the surgery room to see my dad. And usually that encountered me holding a clip or being part of that surgery to talk to him, and then I'd leave. And then as sometimes afterwards we'd go around and I'd see these patients. Sometimes I would see them a week later, and they were, you know, having wounds we were still caring for. And, I, you know, as a child, I thought, oh, my God, this is horrific. Right. You know, it's wonderful yeah. what they could do with surgery, but I really dreamed when I grew up that we would be able to prevent this stuff, and that's right. what I'm doing. I'm learning to prevent people from getting sick, and it's just so much more fun. Very cool. And in your book, you talk about uh, what you call, uh, or what other people may call this as well, but accelerated aging syndrome. What exactly is that? Simply, it's getting old before your time. And sadly, most Americans today are old before their time. If you think back to the 1960s and 70s and you look at pictures of school children and adults, they were much leaner and fitter than we are today. And because of the lack of leanness and fitness, we're unfit and overweight, we're aging faster. So the whole idea of 10 years younger is, I can't make someone 10 years younger if they've always followed an optimal lifestyle. Impossible. But the majority of Americans, Canadians, U.S., even Mexicans, all of North Americans, are 10 year, at least 10 years older than they should be physiologically. And if we give them a lifestyle, activity, fitness, nutrition, foods, to turn that around, the average person becomes 10 years younger because we stop accelerated aging and we can reverse it. That's a great point. It's kind of interesting, too, because, like you said, if you look back uh, in America or North America, people were thinner and healthier, and it was just very – it was normal back then. And, and now you fast forward Much. and obesity is on the rise. I mean, it's I, – I, I Now, if you're I, normal weight, you're unusual. You're weird. Right, right. I believe they've even raised the bar, if you will, so the average weight or the, the quote-unquote healthy weight has raised over time because of this. I've, I've heard, I don't yeah, know we're actually changing that. our lab parameters to accommodate for it. Really? Things that used to be abnormal are now called normal because we don't want to say half of people have abnormal labs. Right. Wow. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely kind of uh, gone south in that regard. Um in your book, you talk about, and I found this really interesting because this is something that I've never heard it from this perspective before. You talked about how uh, well-toned and maintained muscles are one of the biggest anti-aging weapons. How does that work, and, and how how so? Well, you know, we used to think of our organs like your heart, 
your lungs, your brain, your skin. No one thought of muscles and fat as organs, but they really are. They are biochemically, hormonally very active, and they influence our metabolism in many things. So our muscle mass has so many influences on health. One, it burns calories. So if you had one pound of extra muscle, you burn an extra 40 calories a day. But muscle is the bank account that we retire with. It allows us to repair, fight infections, uh, you know, generate physiologic abilities. So muscle is essential to health. And if we lose muscle, we're more likely to die from surgery, die from a pneumonia, um, we're more likely to fall. We become, indi- you know, we lose our dependence. And a lot of young people today, when they lose muscle, their fat mass grows out of proportion. They can't control it. It's like a snowball. When they lose that balance of muscle to fat, and now they're, all, you know, we've seen all these disabled people from diminished muscle. And then now we have a whole new class of obesity. We have normal weight obesity, meaning they're normal weight, but they have no muscle and they're all fat and they're actually obese metabolically, but you don't look at it when they're fully dressed. So it's it's really important for people not to lose muscle mass because that's our retirement fund for health for years to come. And when we lose it, it's gone. And when you lose 40%, usually you die. That's it. You don't make, you don't survive once you lose 40% of your muscle. When you lose, okay, so say right now I have a certain amount of muscle. If I lose 40% of that, that's when basically I would die. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really why people die at age 80, because the average person loses 1% per year from age 40 to 80. And when you've lost 40%, you can't fight the next infection off. You don't repair. You might fall, break a hip. Um, We die at age 80 because we've lost that much muscle. That's the strongest predictor of death. Interesting. I didn't know that protein uh, fought infections. Is it just kind of a, a repair mechanism? Well, that, how, do you make Im- that we, how do you make immune globulins? We actually break 10% of our muscle down every day to repair tissue, fight infections, make immunoglobulins to fight infections, um, and then we rebuild it with the food we eat and the activity we do. So we recycle 10% per day. Well, if you lose 40%, there's not much to recycle anymore. Right. Interesting. You can't repair, you can't build, and you can't fight. Mm-hmm. You're finished. Right, yeah. So critical. So, and, and and a lot of people, I mean, I, it's just most people today have inadequate muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Is there a kind of recommended uh, muscle mass percentage that you think is kind of a healthy balance? Well, when you think of your body weight, you know, here's the problem. People think of total weight, right? You, we ask, how much do you weigh? Well, that's irrelevant. Right. What rational person would take all their debt and all their savings and add them together and call it one number? That wouldn't make any <laughs> sense, right? Yeah. So why would you add all your lean and all your fat together and call it one number? It doesn't make any sense. We should be looking. I've been for a decade. I've been talking to thousands of physicians, begging them, stop measuring weight. Start mm-hmm. measuring lean mass and fat mass separately and track them and help people maintain their lean mass and control their fat mass. So generally speaking, women get more fat than men in a healthy way. They have breasts. They have more hips. 
they're supposed to have a little bit more, so they should have about 3% more. So for men, we look at if you have more than 24% body fat, that's really overweight. And really, we should be around 17 to 19% would be more optimal for body fat. If you're less than that, you get sick a lot. Like a gymnast might have 10 to 12, 14%, but they're sick all the time. Their immune system's actually depressed. And so, and a woman should probably have around, be under 27% body fat. And for a woman, excellent is probably in the 20 to 22 range. So that's what we should be aiming for. And unfortunately, most people aren't there. Interesting. So, so the body fat and uh, muscle mass, how, I guess how do those impact the immune system? I'm, I've never really kind of heard this before. What, how well, they connect? part of, you know, what does it take to get to that low fat? Let's look at a triathlete competitor. You know, mm-hmm. they're doing these big events. They're serious. They're trying to win. If you're a serious triathlete competitor, your chance of getting sick within a month of that event is over 50%. You're going to get ill. You've beaten yourself to to train for that event, and that's what it takes to get your body fat that low. Mm -hmm. It's not that the lack of fat, I think, lowers immunity. It's, It's how hard you have to work to get that thin. You know who's doing it? Marathon runners, triathletes, iron men, iron women, gymnasts. They're sick a lot. They have higher cancer rates. Serious, long-term competitive athletes can have higher cancer rates. So they're, you know, they're hurting themselves at a, you know, they're competing at a cost. That's very interesting. Do you think that's because basically they're stressing their immune systems out? Is that what that is? Yeah, I think they're pushing it so hard they stress their immune system. Something's hmm. got to give. Interesting. Part of it is the level they're training at. When I talk about under fitness getting fit, I'd like people to figure out what is their maximum heart rate. You know, do a test. I think one of the most important take-home messages is figure out how fit you are and then get, you know, learn how to optimize your fitness workout program. So you figure out what's your maximum heart rate, and then when you have that, you work out at 70 to 85% of it if you're relatively fit. If you're totally unfit, you work at 60 to 70%. But most people are 70 to 85. If you're working out all the time at 95% of your maximum heart rate, you're just beating yourself. It's too much. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, in your book, you talk a lot about, uh, well, one of the first kind of principles for, for 10 years younger is oxidative stress, and yes. uh, which is which is basically the inability to process free radicals. Um, how do, what exactly are free radicals and how can we kind of cope with oxidative stress in our lives? Well, a simple way is just to look at a car that burns gas and it makes exhaust. If you breathe in that exhaust, everybody knows you'll poison yourself, right? So if you burn fuel, you make exhaust, and ex- exhaust is really free radicals. It's energy that's been converted. Now, when humans, we make a lot, we consume a lot of calories, we burn a lot of energy, and we make exhaust. And our exhaust consists of what we call free radicals. These are damaged particles from burning energy. And you can also consume free radicals, you know, chemical compounds from, you know, toxins in our environment. We didn't used to have them, but we have a ton of them now. 
So we make them and we can consume them. And if you have more free radicals coming in than you can handle, you age more quickly. That's one of the causes of accelerate. you know. So you, you've already mentioned a couple causes of accelerated aging. One is losing muscle mass. Another is um, not being able to handle free radicals. And we handle them by eating fruits and vegetables and plant pigments. Those are antioxidants. So antioxidants block oxidation. The common term I think people think of for oxidation is rusting, a car rusts. Well, we actually rust from the inside out, too. And what causes the rust is the energy we're burning making that exhaust. I think, does that answer your question? Yeah, sort of. So it's, it's basically a, a byproduct of all the energy output of our of our body, yeah, which needs to be handled. Yeah, use a lot of energy compared okay. to almost any other animal our size. We're you know massive energy consumers, right? And you said you said that we we can you know breathe in uh, exhaust or environmental toxins, but you said we also can create free free radicals. We do. We create a ton every time uh, you burn fuel, you eat food, you burn it as energy. You make free radicals from burning that energy. So even if and you're eating, build, and we and we don't get to just blow it out of tailpipe. We right. have to process it. We have to neutralize it, and we neutralize it by eating healthy food. Right. Those plant so even, pigments we eat actually act like little tiny fire extinguishers putting out little tiny fires. Mm-hmm. So even if we're eating healthy, I mean, is that creating free radicals to some degree? Well, we are, yes, and we are aging. Gotcha. So yeah, eating and the when right. you work out, you actually build enzymes to handle it. So when you work out regularly, you develop more enzymes so you can handle more free radicals. So somebody works out regularly, has enough enzyme chemical capacity to remove this exhaust. If you don't work out at all, you tend to rust more quickly because you can't handle what you make. Interesting. It's funny. It's, it is exactly like a car. If you leave a car stagnant, It'll rust and oxidize, and same with our bodies. If we use it and move and, you know, give it what it needs, it, it doesn't oxidize as quickly, at least. Right, and it comes good. down to fuel, too. You know, who's going to put – what rational person's going to put dirt in their gas? Everybody knows it's not going to – you know, I ask this all the time at talks. Would you, just for fun, put some dirt in your gas? And people look at me like, are you insane? But they'll eat junk that decreases their performance all the time. So why is it that we take much better care of our cars than we do our own bodies? Isn't that That's amazing? That's a good question. That's a great question. Too bad Henry Ford wasn't still alive. We'd have to ask him. <laughs> he probably knows. Um, yeah, it is interesting. It's a very valid point. And there's actually a, a guy uh, who's another health author. He has he works with professional athletes, and he says he tells them. Um, you know, if you're looking to improve your health and, and you're not willing to invest in it and put time and money and energy into it, but, you you know, you have this, you know, $100,000, $200,000 sports car, then you have your priorities mixed up. And, and that's kind of unfortunately um, very common in today's day mm-hmm. and age because of Every day. Yeah. I use that analogy with people almost every day. Mm-hmm. If you were a high-end sports car, what kind of fuel would you buy? Right. They all say, oh, I'd buy great fuel. You know, I say this, I love saying this to kids, to adolescents. If you had, you you know, a really hot sports car, are you going to put cheap gas in it? And they look at me like, no. Well, what if, wouldn't you like to be yourself a hot, 
Do you want to be a dumpy car or a sports car? <laughs> right. What kind of right. fuel are you going to use? They get it. That kind yeah. of analogy, they the adolescents understand pretty well. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, in your book, you also talk about uh, kind of a, a low-carb, high-protein, high-fat diet. Uh, what 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 is the reason for that specifically? What does that do in the body? Well, if there are higher-protein, higher-fat diets that I think are really healthy. There are also low-carb, high-fat, high-protein diets that are really harmful. So the key is we need nutrients. We need healthy fat, healthy carb, and healthy protein. I don't believe there's any special ratio. But I think the idea of people doing like an Atkins diet has killed tens or hundreds of thousands of people who were eating, getting, not getting nutrients. They were fruit and vegetable, bean and nut deprived. Well, maybe they were not deprived. They didn't get beans. They didn't get fruits. They didn't get vegetables. They ate a lot of bad, toxic fat, bad, toxic protein. And they killed themselves, just like Adkins killed himself twice, in fact. Um, so I think very low-carb, high, you know, bad fat, bad protein diets are harmful. That I think that is an aging accelerator. And they're not as popular now as they were 5, 10 years ago. So, But I'm totally okay with people saying, I'm going to cut out all the bad carbs. I'm going to eat just fruit and vegetables, cut out the grain, cut out the sugar. I think that's a great idea, and eat more healthy protein, healthy fat. I'm okay. So all depends on how you spin it. Right. And, and it kind of – do you believe that it kind of comes down – like you said, you don't believe in a specific ratio – it, does that do you believe that kind of comes down comes down to the person and their specific body? I think it comes and, down to t- yeah. I mean, they've done all these studies on, you know, they've done weight loss studies doing Adkins versus very high carb, low fat diets versus Mediterranean diets, and all the results were like the same within two pounds. It really comes down to what can you follow. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the most, but I think the emph- thing we need to emphasize is. You need healthy carb, healthy protein, healthy fat. You need fruit and vegetables. No one should, in right mind, say you don't get to eat your vegetables. That would be insane. We can eat more healthy fat, and we should have more healthy protein. It's filling and satisfying. So it's the quality of the food that matters. I don't think there's a fixed ratio. Now, having said that, there is some genetic predisposition that probably a third of people would do better with less total carbs and a third would do better with a higher fat diet and a third would do better with a low fat diet and a third are probably more balanced like Mediterranean diet. So I think we have some genetic, it should be personalized and customized and there's even some genetic testing to help people decide which of those they should be following when you're looking at these macronutrient ratios. I see. I uh, on that note of the Mediterranean diet, do you think that's a little bit more beneficial than most kind of diets overall? I think if you look at the planet and life, they have one of the healthiest lifespans on the you know, let's forget for a moment that, you know, now we have fast food places all over the Mediterranean. But if we think mm-hmm. of the traditional Mediterranean diet, it's one of the healthiest diets on the planet. They have the longest, you know, for lifespans, they have one of the longest lifespans, they have the most health span, they have less heart disease, they have less cancer, they look fit and great, and they're independent, living into 80s and 90s all the time. So I think the Mediterranean, and it's palatable, it's 
tasty. People love eating Mediterranean food. So it's such a great combo of here's a diet that's wonderful to eat and it's great for you. The challenge is, you know, sticking to that original traditional Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Well, lucky for me, I live in an area with a lot of uh, Mediterranean restaurants and I love Mediterranean food. So can't complain about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Makes it easy. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I write a lot of Mediterranean recipes. And, you know, my blog this week was on Mediterranean herbs. I was just oh, cool. in. I got hired to go do a physician education workshop over in Greece and Turkey for a couple of weeks. And I was just sampling the food, and it's fantastic. It tastes so great. It's good for – and it's so good for you. Um, and I, I think part of it is their herbs. You know, mm -hmm. they've always talked about, you know, it's – because it doesn't have refined carbs and it's got all these vegetables and nuts and beans and lean protein and maybe red wine and healthy olive oil. But I think the herbs and the flavors are a critical part of the success of the Mediterranean diet. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It definitely is a very tasty uh, type of food. It's I love it. Uh, in your book, you talk about fiber and, and the importance of fiber and you, and you kind of said uh, basically to get 30 grams of fiber each day in your diet is what is what is the benefit of the fiber specifically and then does it that ratio kind of change based on the size of an individual oh well fiber is let's the basic is fiber is roughage it comes from fruit vegetables beans nuts a whole grain like a whole oat oats so when we look at the evidence behind eating fiber, the best dietary recommendation for weight loss, if you look at all the studies, all the data is basically eat more fiber. You'll be full satisfied. You won't need to eat as much food. You'll eat less calories, and you'll lose weight. If you look at heart disease, one of the best predictors of improving your blood sugar cholesterol profile is eat more fiber. In fact, I'm publishing a study right now that shows if you, the more fiber you eat, the less plaque you grow in your arteries. It's like the best dietary predictor of not growing plaque in your arteries. So it's, it's the, I call it the single most important food decision we make. More important than how much fat or protein or anything else, more fiber is number one in importance for health. Mm. So how much? Um, I'm looking at 30 to 40 to 50 grams a day, 30 being the minimum. Everybody should get 30. If you're bigger, you probably need 40. To put it in context, you know, an apple has like four grams of fiber. Uh, serving a, a cup of edamame is about four grams of fiber. Um, so, you know, you can get it from oatmeal has three or four grams of fiber. So those are just examples of how much does it take to get it. And um, there's a, on my website, there's a table people can go in and calculate at 10yearsyounger.com, free tools. There's a free tool session to measure in there. You can go in and figure out what's your daily fiber intake, and people should get at least 30 grams a day, everybody. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, definitely useful. I, did, I didn't know that removed uh, plaque from the arteries. That's definitely very, very valuable, especially. Yeah, I was actually, I thought that was fascinating in our study we're publishing. And when we yeah. look at our, and I have over 100 people who, from my patients who've shrunk their plaque by more than 10%. And one of the strongest predictors of can you shrink the plaque in your arteries by eating well and exercising is your fiber intake. 
increase your fiber intake, and there's a good chance not only will you not grow plaque, but you could even shrink it. Right, and and heart disease is one of the top three killers, I believe. It's in the number one killer today. Number one. Okay, yeah. Cardiovascular disease is the number one killer, and I've got a new book coming out in February, which will be the 30-day heart tune-up, and it'll go into a lot more detail on um, foods to add for your heart. Awesome. Just on that note, dark chocolate's good for the heart, right? Pardon? Or no? Is dark chocolate good for the heart? Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I did not understand you. Is, is dark chocolate good for the heart? Oh, dark chocolate is fat. Well, it's good for many, many things, but it's absolutely good for your heart. It blocks your LDL cholesterol from being oxidized into fat. It lowers your blood pressure. It's good for your brain. It's rich in magnesium. It's got all these fantastic nutrients. It's actually a good source of fiber. But what's dark chocolate? It's got to be at least 70% cocoa or it doesn't count. A lot of things are sold as dark chocolate, and they're probably 50% sugar. And they're bad fat. So it's got to be 70% cocoa mass. That's my definition of what is dark chocolate. It's got to be 70 or more percent cocoa mass to qualify. And if it is, I think you have to eat dark chocolate every day. That's one of my recommendations. Well, I Thank got you the for bringing okay. that one up. I'm glad I got the okay from the doctor on that one. I can just keep eating chocolate yeah, fiber, every day. <laughs> you know, so one of your critical fiber sources to have every day is dark chocolate. Very cool. I didn't it's know that fiber ounce, and 28 grams an ounce, something like that every day. That's surprising. It doesn't seem like it has fiber, but that's that's all the more reason to eat it. All um, the more reason. Nutrients, magnesium, <laughs> block aging, antioxidants. It's a fantastic source of nutrients. Yeah, and magnesium is great for the heart, too, and I know a lot of people are deficient in that as well. So. Yeah, most people are deficient in magnesium. Magnesium is probably one of the most important heart nutrients out there today. And you get it from eating fruit, vegetables, beans, and nuts, and people just don't eat enough of those. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned uh, earlier in the interview metabolic syndrome. What What is that exactly? Okay, metabolic syndrome means your metabolism is out of whack. It's it's one of the key signs of accelerated aging, and it it's 30% of adults today, and by age 50 to 60, it's almost 50% of adults. So metabolic syndrome means you've got basically got pre-diabetes. You, you're, you're inflamed, your blood's sticky, your cholesterol's out of whack, and that your healthy HDL that cleans your arteries up drops and goes down. Your blood pressure goes up, and your blood sugar goes up, and the first sign of metabolic syndrome is an expanding waistline. So if your belt size, pant size going up, that's bad. It means you have that's the first sign of accelerated aging. So metabolic syndrome, there's you have to have three of five criteria to qualify between blood pressure, HDL, cholesterol, triglycerides, um, blood sugar, and waistline. So if you have three of those. Uh, then you've got prediabetes, metabolic syndrome. And people think, oh, prediabetes, that's not good. I'll get diabetes. It's much worse than that because before you get diabetes, if you have met- most people will die of a heart attack, cancer, or Alzheimer's disease from metabolic syndrome before they get diabetes. So metabolic syndrome is, to me, just as bad as diabetes. You just didn't have the official diagnosis yet. Hmm. It's a killer. The number one cause of heart disease today is metabolic syndrome. And the reason people have it is they eat too much sugar 
and they're not active enough, and they don't have enough muscle mass. Those are the three big causes. So when you lose muscle, you're inactive, and you eat, you know, bread and pasta and sugar and rice and not a lot of fruit and vegetables and, meat and lean protein, your metabolism is all out of balance. Hmm. And you're Very aging rapidly. And that's, again, a third of all adults today. Yeah, that's, that's surprising. That I, I'm, I'm not too familiar with that, and that's such a huge uh, detrimental thing. You know, huge. Happening. I mean, that's... and if if you're an employer, you spend five times as much money on your employees with metabolic syndrome than on your employees without it. Wow. <laughs> if you have no signs of metabolic syndrome, they're healthy. If you have three of five, you're going to spend five times more money taking care of them. So it's it's the biggest cause of raising health care costs today. Hmm. It's devastating. It, yeah, that, and it's totally yeah. reversible. I have proven follow this program and you can totally reverse. You know, here's the interesting thing. The 10 Years Younger program when it started was a plan designed to reverse diabetes. It's a diabetic reversal program. I used it for years back in the 1990s. We took people with diabetes and heart disease. We had them add healthy food, add activity, manage their stress, and they reversed the problem, and they were healthy. And then over time, I did a discovery program show, five hours. I don't know. Millions of people saw it back um, more than a decade, about a decade ago. And they called it 10 years younger. So my... Stop, you know, reverse diabetic program became 10 years younger. And when they called it 10 years younger, it became 10 times more popular. <laughs> but it was kind of the same program. And what right. it means is a program that will reverse diabetes will help an average person be 10 years younger physiologically. Right. Yeah, people people don't want to buy, you know, vitamins and eat healthy. They just want to buy the fix for, for the problem after the fact. So it's kind of a... Once again, an image thing, and you know, it's definitely uh, it's interesting how people perceive their health and the before and after of it, and all. Um, you, you talk about calories and, and consumption and, and burning calories, and how there needs to be basically a, a balance of, of those two. Uh, the, the the quality of the calories. I mean, does that do you think that plays a role in that kind of balance of the calories you consume? Oh, your calories. And, the quality of calories plays a huge role. It's not just as simple as, you know, for weight control, calories in and calories out. And there's several reasons why not. Because you could just get all your calories from sugar, and you're going to just burn up and die. You'll be nutrient-deprived. Um, it's pointless. You may not gain weight, but you'll be dying from lack of nutrients. So the quality of calories, and, and most people are eating too they eat too many calories, and, and still, of the people I see, more than 80% are grossly nutritionally deficient. It's accelerating aging and impacting their health. And I see smart, well-to-do professionals, and 80% are nutritionally deficient that I see. So people need to get more nutrients for the calories they eat. That is absolutely true and critical. Okay, interesting. I. Uh... In your book, you talk about a little bit about hormonal metabolism. Uh, what exactly is that, and is that connected to metabolic syndrome? Well, it is connected. You know, that's a good point. So, when you're, if you have metabolic syndrome, not only is your blood sugar up and your cholesterol profile out of whack and your blood pressure up, your hormones are out of whack, 
it's a, it's a it's a network. Everything's connected. Your hormones, your immune system, your gut function, your brain function, they're all interconnected like a web. So if your diet's out of whack, your hormones will be out of whack. So when your metabolism is off, it becomes hormonal as well. Men lose testosterone. When their weight goes up, their fat cells convert testosterone to estrogen and men grow breasts because of that hormonal effect of the weight gain. For, you know, women, it messes up their cycles. They have irregular cycles. They have more premenstrual syndrome. They have worse menopause symptoms. So um, for both genders, if you don't take care of your metabolism, you'll suffer hormonal consequences as well. And, you know, it's just amazing how much better people feel when they add healthy food, manage their stress, (laughs) measure their fitness, and get fit. They feel fantastic. And part of that quality of life benefit is hormonal. So that's a really good point you're making. So really when you kind of start to balance your metabolism and and kind of get metabolic syndrome in check, that will kind of naturally start to align and balance your hormones. Everything. Everything gets better. It's all interconnected. And it's, you know, the biggest thing people notice when they follow the program is by two weeks their energy is better. They sleep better. They feel more alert. They've got more spring in their step. Their libido gets better. Their sexual function gets better. Everything gets better when they take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. It's all synergy. For sure, yeah. The amazing thing is most people have forgotten how good they can feel. That's one of the really interesting quotes I've got that people will say after a month, wow, I forgot that I could feel this good. <laughs> yeah. Because they're, they're tired, they're dragging, they got brain fog, they ache, they're worn out by the end of the day. They forgot that they're supposed to be energetic and wide-eyed and mentally sharp and quick and sexy. They'd forgotten all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you kind of get beat down by, you know. You just get beaten down by everyday life and your job and mm-hmm. all the work and you're tired and worn out and you get used to it. But it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that way. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit. I'm, I want to talk about uh, stress. And, and you talked about stress okay. in your book. And I, personally, I think stress is just extremely, it's it's kind of swept under the rug and not talked about a lot. But I think it's a huge uh Huge factor in in disease and aging. Um, What would you recommend our listeners do to both reduce stress and to cope with stress after they are stressed? (laughs) Well, and then part of the problem is when you're stressed, it affects you hormonally. Your cortisol goes up, your energy drops, you feel bad. And who, when they're really stressed out of their mind, feels like eating, you know, baked chicken and steamed broccoli? They don't. They have pizza, french fries, ice cream, cookies, and then they feel worse. So managing stress is so important because once you're all stressed out, it's it's a little hard sometimes to make that shift. But I think probably the most important thing is good quality sleep, a workout each day, intimacy. And, you know, and sex is great for stress management because it releases oxytocin and oxytocin lowers cortisol. So exercise, romance, um, a good night's sleep, and and don't forget having fun. 
when you have, go out and have fun, you do something that's joyous, you laugh, you release all sorts of beneficial chemistry that improves your hormonal systems. So those are my key steps to stress management. But it has to be scheduled. You know, if when you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed, you don't take care of yourself too often. So you don't do the daily workout. You don't eat healthy food. You may not get a good night's sleep. And it's a downward spiral of doing less, feeling worse. So we got to turn that around. And I, I agree totally with you. If your stress is unmanaged, it's a terrible impact on health. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just like you said, it, it has a domino effect into every other area of life. And then, it does. you know, it's it's amazing how, how stress can kind of spiral out of control and lead to so many other things. Uh, as far as, as stress is concerned, um, I mean, I, I know there's, well, basically, I guess what you kind of said was, you know, take life more lightly. I mean, to live joyously and, and don't take it too seriously because I think sometimes we put ourselves in stressful situations when we don't really need to stress or we overreact or, you know, whatever. So that was a great point. I'm glad I'm glad you uh, brought that up. Uh, in your book, you talk about avoiding toxins and, and how um, there's a lot of different things in the environment that are that are toxic. And then obviously our, our food has more toxins. Uh, what kind what kind of top I guess what what I'd ask would be what are the top three kind of most dangerous and prominent toxins that we want okay. to definitely avoid? Well there's a lot of pesticides out there today. Chemicals, dioxins, they're kind of a class of chemicals we use to produce food. And I and, and most people think, oh they're in fruit and vegetables. Well fruit and vegetables probably only provide 10% of the pesticides in the American diet. They mostly come from fatty meats and fatty dairy. That's more than half. That's probably close to 80%. Probably 10% come from fruit and vegetables. 10% come with whole grains. So eating lean helps. You're getting, you know, especially when it comes to animal protein and dairy, it's more important to eat lean and I think that's more important to get organic poultry meat, dairy, than it is to worry about your organic produce. Because you can always just wash your produce with um, dish soap and then rinse it and get rid of 90% of the pesticides. Yes, I'm a big advocate of organic produce, but it's if you really wanted to cut it down, you'd cut out the fatty dairy, fatty meats. Two, mer- mercury is really prevalent. The labs have actually had to more than double the normal mercury level for laboratories because everybody was coming out elevated. So mercury we get from big mouth fish like tuna fish, tuna, grouper, snapper, bass, swordfish, very high in mercury. A third of my patients have high mercury, and more than 10% are actually slowing their brain speed down. I've published studies um, and, and you know journals showing that if your mercury's high, your brain speed slows down, you're at increased risk for getting Alzheimer's. And it's really common. A third of people have high mercury today. So um, those are probably my, you know, and then there's still smoking. I mean, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Talk about aging yourself, accelerated, sm- you know, aging. Certainly got to put, you know, tobacco in there for at least in, in the top three. For AG, that's probably number one, to be honest. 
Um, mm -hmm. If I had to pick, those are the three that I kind of think of. But you know, there's excess alcohol, there's other chemicals, there's all, there's you know, estrogens that we get from drinking out of you know plastic bottles. I mean, it's, they're everywhere. The key is eat healthy, you know, unprocessed, clean food. Um, it's mm -hmm. just so important, and so few people do that today. Yeah, with mercury, is there a way to, within your practice or that you've kind of seen, a way to detox and remove mercury from the body? Yeah, it's easy to do. The biggest, most important is if your mercury's high, stop eating big mouth fish. You know, right. Cut out the tuna. <laughs> right. So that's number one. So we yeah. measure it in our patients, a whole blood, and we look at whole blood mercury level and um, very common this high. So, and the recommend, you know, so if someone's high and they're having neurologic symptoms, their ears are ringing, their toes burn, they're having troubles with memory, those are like signs of high mercury, then we will um, detoxify them. You can give them herbs that'll double their removal. We have a product called Metalloclear we tend to use. And then if it's really high, you can even chelate someone. I'll sometimes do oral chelation to pull uh, mercury and heavy metals out. But chelation has a lot of controversy, and there's risk and benefit. So you have to take that pretty seriously if you reach that point. The best is just to eat less big mouth fish, and you'd be fine. Right, yeah, stop feeding the problem. That makes sense. <laughs> stop, stop causing the problem. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and I love ahi tuna. It's not that I don't like it. I just right. avoid it because I've had elevated mercuries myself. I have to be very cautious. Mm -hmm. And you can't predict. Some people can handle a lot more than others. We're all biochemically unique beings. So everyone's different, and we all have to look at it differently. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as cruciferous vegetables are concerned, why are they so beneficial for removing, removing toxins from the body? Well, I've, you know I've got a list of 16 vitality foods. And now you've already missed it. You've already mentioned a few of them here, like dark chocolate and now cruciferous vegetables. So that's a class of vegetables. When you eat them, they're really good for you. So one, they help detox. They can help remove heavy metals. Um, so that's cruciferous vegetables for the listening audience. They're broccoli, cauliflower, bok choy, Brussels sprouts, kale, and cabbage. That class of vegetables, when they have and their flour, it's, it makes a cross. So we call them cruciferous or cross-bearing vegetables. But they help us detox. They help remove chemicals. They improve hormone metabolism. They decrease cancer risk. So I think people should have at least a half cup to a cup of cruciferous vegetables every day. Very cool. Uh, on, the, on that Vitality food uh, note, dark chocolate, um, I know you mentioned garlic was another one. Is there anything as far as garlic is concerned? It's actually kind of funny. My... A uh, great grandfather, he lived in his mid, I want to say it was like 94, 93, mm -hmm. and he drank and smoked every day, like literally every day. But he ate raw garlic every single day, too. And it was really the only healthy habit that, that I knew he had. So I think there's something to garlic that I just, I, I believe garlic has. There may be, yeah. I mean, there's 2% of the population that you can't kill them. You know, they right. can smoke cigarettes for <laughs> breakfast. Whiskey for you know lunch and tequila for dinner and you, they're like cockroaches you just can't get right. rid of them. But ninety eight percent of us really have to work. Let's hope you got his gene type. Oh but, yeah, um, exactly. For the ninety eight percent of us, it matters. Yeah, garlic is a really healthy food. It 
you know, has helps kill bugs, antimicrobial activity, improves their blood pressure, improves our cholesterol profile. Um, it's in the laboratory, you know, garlic extracts can kill cancer cells. Um, garlic's great. The problem is it can't be detoxified. Some people take these garlic, you know, deodorized products. Mm-hmm. If it's deodorized, they took out the active agent. So Which caution, is... deodorized garlic doesn't work. And then okay. um, if you overcook it, it loses all its medicinal value. So you said he took it raw. Ideally, you like crush it and put it in salad dressing. That's mm-hmm. one of the best ways to absorb it. Interesting. You can put and, it in your cooking in the last 30 seconds, but if you overcook it, it turns bitter. Your food won't taste good, and it doesn't have any nutrient value. So when I to, first started yeah. cooking, I used to do the onions and garlic together at the very beginning. But I've given that up, you know, years ago. Now I realize, saute the onion, you know, heat up a pan with olive oil, saute some onion, put in lots of herbs, cook your veggies, protein, whatever you're doing, and then add the garlic in the last 30 to 60 seconds. And don't cook it longer than that. It tastes better, and it's much better for you. Awesome tip. That's a great, great tip. Uh, You also talk about inflammation and how that has an impact on uh, premature aging. Uh, what mm-hmm. what actually causes inflammation? What's how can we reduce that? Inflammation. You're. I mean, when something bad happens, inflammation is a healthy process, like to fight an infection. And in, say an infect microbes get into your body, and your body uses inflammation chemicals to kill them. But it's also like friendly fire that when we're killing the microbes, we kill ourselves. Now, and then sometimes, like allergies, is it immune, is inflammation to ourselves. There's no microbes there. That's a, you know, so inflammation is like, and when your joints are damaged, they get inflamed. We produce chemicals that cause hot red, like you're fighting infection, but there's no infection there. It's just friction and wear and tear. So inflammation is an essential part of aging. When your joints get inflamed, you get arthritis. When your heart gets inflamed and your arteries get inflamed, you get heart disease. When your brain gets inflamed, you get Alzheimer's. So and here's some intri- when you don't eat fruit and vegetables, you're more inflamed. If you don't get fit and exercise, you're more inflamed. If your blood sugar is elevated, you're really inflamed. If you don't get, you know, fish oil, you'll be more inflamed. So, or seafood oil, you could get it from algae as well. But so if you, there's so many causes. And when your fat goes up, if you're overweight, fat cells cause a lot of inflammation. They produce cytokines that make you inflamed. So all these unhealthy lifestyles make us inflamed, accelerate aging, and it's like a snowball. Once it starts growing, it's that downward spiral again. So once more, it's so essential to get active, eat well, meet your nutrient needs, and this is really an anti-inflammatory program. Mm-hmm. And you're really just kind of, with your program, reducing the constant state of inflammation because, like you said, uh, inflammation is a healthy response, but it's that constant state that's not healthy. Yeah, most I'd say most Americans are grossly over-inflamed. Mm-hmm. And you can measure it. I do blood tests on my patients. High sensitivity CRP, C-reactive protein. It's a protein measure of inflammation. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be like under 0.2, but most people are like one to two. They're five to ten times normal. Wow. If it's okay. more than three, you're high risk for a cardiovascular event. 
And it's common. I see it all the time. So uh, it's a simple blood test we can measure to see, are we inflamed? And if so, it's easy to fix. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned uh, balancing healthy fats within regards to inflammation. What, what healthy mm-hmm. fats do we need to balance? To balance well, long-chain omega-3s, so we get those from seafood, seaweed, okay. vegetable, you know, sea vegetables, fish, shellfish. So, like, good sources are wild salmon, trout, sole, cold water, smallmouth fish, or mussels, you know, oysters from cold water are good sources because they filter them from the algae. Uh, um, cucumin, that curry spices are great. Chili spice is great. So chili spice, uh, Mediterranean herbs, curry spices, fish oil are all excellent anti-inflammatory agents to lower inflammation and to make us healthier. And, and algae, is, is that one as well? Yeah, algae would be as well. Seafood oil, so omega-3 at all. You know, the salmon get it from eating the herring, and the herring get it from eating krill, and the krill get it from eating algae. You know, it just comes up the food chain. Right, gotcha. Uh, The vitality foods you talked about, uh, garlic, dark chocolate, what are some of the other vitality foods that really give people the longevity they're looking for? Um, nuts are great. You know, really healthy. There's five nuts that are proven to decrease cardiovascular disease. Um, those are uh, almonds, pecans, pistachios, walnuts, and hazelnuts. Those are excellent, and we should add them each day. Berries are fantastic. The pigments in berries are probably some of the most brain and artery protective foods in our diet today. Spices and herbs, we've talked about those. Those are critical uh, then we have seafood that we want those long-chain omega-3s, either from seaweed. Someone's vegetarian, I recommend they get at least like two nori sheets a day or half a cup of seaweed salad a day. Or you have salmon or sole or sardines, something three times a week. Um, lean protein, you know, lean. That means like mm-hmm. chicken breast, turkey breast. It, you know, it certainly doesn't mean giving up hamburger and sausage and hot dogs. My God, that's not even food anymore. That's just ground-up carcass these days, so lean protein. Um, The chocolate we mentioned, green tea. If you have caffeine, I'm okay with a couple cups of coffee, but green tea is even better for you. Those are all examples of the vitality foods. I recommend people eat slow aging and turn back the clock so they can be younger, trimmer, fitter, mentally sharper, and sexier. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, With Within regards to the antioxidants, you you, talk, you kind of profiled them in your book, and I really like that because it kind of helped me understand what those uh, antioxidants were and kind of broke it down really well. Um, so carotenoids and then flavonoids, um, and then you kind of broke those down even further. How do those work? I know you talked about how they they're work pigments. in plants. All yeah. you know, the beta, line, beta bottom line for listeners is they're plant pigments. Mm-hmm. Why do plants make color? Because the sunshine hits them, creates energy, creates free radicals for making energy, and the plant pigments absorb the free radicals. And if we eat those colorful pigments, those carotenoids, flavonoids, that blocks free radicals that we make from producing energy. That's the key. Okay. So there's all sorts of biochemical classes, as you're you know, discussing, but I think the key concept for our listeners today is 
eat more colorful food. Mm-hmm. Get those plant pigments to slow oxidation. And a good range of that color is going to give you more. Yeah, and more color is better because then you're getting all different types. They work synergistically. You don't want to just eat one food. Mm-hmm. Are there any of, and, of those, specifically those antioxidants that you find people need the most, like lycopene or astaxanthin or anything like that? Um, they're all. See, I think we need all of them. Is the truth. So berries mm-hmm. are great. That's why I was mentioning green leafies for those green pigments. Um, mm-hmm. Berries for those blue purple pigments. Tomatoes for that lycopene you just mentioned. That red orange pigment. We want a variety. So greens, blues, reds. They're all fantastic. It's you know when we have dinner, it should be about you know. A quarter to a third of our plate should be some form of protein, and half of it should be colorful fruit and vegetables. And maybe we have some beans or a whole grain on the side, which is, again, a small portion. That's the opposite of what, how most people eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In regards to, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts on, on genetically modified foods are. How Have you kind of researched that and looked into that? Well, genetically modified foods, it's such a controversial topic. How are they genetically modified? If you only genetically modified something to be more drought resistant, I wouldn't even really care. But what if you genetically modify a plant to produce its own pesticide so you don't have to spend any money spraying it? And it's a toxic plant. Mm -hmm. So what kind of genetically, and no one's telling us this stuff. So the problem with GMO to me, the biggest problem is, we have no idea what's been changed. So right. one example is that you could actually teach a plant to make a toxin that's poisonous, and then we end up eating it by eating that plant. Another example is look at what we've done to wheat. We have genetically modified wheat, and wheat now is much more allergenic. People are 20% of people are gluten wheat intolerant today, whereas it was probably 5% 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. We've modified the protein structure so that many more people can eat wheat today. It's like Frankenstein right. wheat. Mm-hmm. We're and, allergic and it, to it. And our own immune, you know, with gluten, it's serious because your immune system attacks your own body. You can cause brain lesions, gut problems, thyroid, joint pain, the works. So. And there's and how do you, there's no turning back. We don't have a regular old-fashioned wheat in this country any day. It's all been modified because it just pollinates. Right. So uh, it's not it's complicated. It's controversial. I don't think all genetically modified foods are bad. Don't. But no one's telling me how it got genetically modified. Right. People are just saying, put it on the label. Let me know if it is or not, so I can make a choice. But I'd actually like to know, well, how was it genetically modified? For what? Did they make it toxic? <laughs> right, That's exactly, important. Yeah. But none of us know. You know, I don't know. Right, yeah. And there's there's no transparency, so it's kind of uncertain at this point. Uh, within the the community and website that I run, uh, a lot of people are, well, everyone's really looking to improve their health and longevity, um, but also live a kind of more eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle and just mm-hmm. feel better, look better, and just really just, feel great so they can go out in the world and, and accomplish great things. Uh, as, yes. far as, as far as kind of health, uh, the mind, the body, the spirit, um, 
living a more abundant life, what are some kind of practical tips that you would give to people just to kind of end the interview and really inspire well, them to live a better life? It really starts with the food we choose. How is it produced? Is it, you know, I mean, buying local organic food is a huge benefit to our health and our environment. It's enormous. So, you know, buy from local markets, buy organic food, especially not just fruit and vegetables, but also look for things that are organic and produced locally for animal protein and bean products and dairy as well if you drink dairy. So I I think we can make a tremendous difference on our environment and our health would benefit for it. It you know that that which is good for us is good for our environment. Too often we're eating toxic food that's raping the environment. And that's that we've got to be more conscious of and be more responsible. I don't think we're being very good stewards of our land. And um, it's just mass food production, and it's really a shame. There's so much more we could do, and all of us would benefit. I agree 100%. I I appreciate your time for the interview, and I I really uh, appreciate all your wisdom. And uh, where where can our listeners uh, learn more about you? What's your website? So 10yearsyounger.com is the website, or T-E-N or 10, 10yearsyounger.com. There's lots of free information, tests they can take. And right now I've got a series of free um, information, um, training videos that they can sign up for and get. So right now it won't last, so check soon, 10yearsyounger.com, and they can click there to receive three training videos um, to help them on the path to turning back the clock to being younger, trimmer, fitter, mentally sharper, and sexier, and, and make it easier all at the same time. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for all the listeners, I will link up his book and websites in the show notes as well, uh, so you can click through and and, uh, check that out. Um, Once again, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. And we'll wrap the show with that, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for your time and tuning in to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. If you liked this interview, if you liked what you heard, make sure to go to healthywildandfree.com and click like on the Facebook page. It's on the right-hand side, and with that, you'll get updates with the interviews, uh, more videos, articles, and uh, just all the updates from the Healthy, Wild, and Free community. Also, if you want to make sure not to miss any uh, interview episodes, make sure to click the box at the top right-hand corner of healthywildandfree.com and get a free copy of our latest ebook. Right now, it's a copy of an ebook called Your Supplement Suck. And it just educates you on the the quality differences in the supplement industry and how it just educates you on making better decisions with that. So once you subscribe and get that free gift, you'll be updated with new interviews as well. Uh, Make sure to subscribe in iTunes, the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast, and I will see you in the next episode. Have a great day.